And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, for I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For if I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household um, will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your own, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and the number of the, and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted to him it, it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to them, him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half um, over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of the prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, deep, going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and dark, great darkness fell on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and after that, and after, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You, will, you shall be buried at a good old age. And then they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land to the land of the Kenites, the Kenzizites, the Cadmorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jezebites. Um, this is the word of the Lord. As uh, the title suggests, in the next 25 minutes, I will summarize in detail 500 years of Reformed theology. Um, and we're going to start here in Genesis and we'll end in Revelation. So 
make sure your shoelaces are tied because we're going to sprint, okay? No, just kidding. Uh, tonight, we begin a new sermon series called Theology in Life that will track with what we're studying in our community groups. And these are groups that meet throughout the week to discuss the Bible together, to pray together, to serve the city together. And in these, gre- uh, in these groups, for the next nine weeks, we're going to study different theological topics, uh, different attributes of Presbyterianism, and uh, some of uh, controversial issues in order that we might mature theologically as a church. And keep in mind, as you go to your community group, that this is not an opportunity for you to get on your theological soapbox. Rather, it's an opportunity for us to practice what we believe is to be vital, which is to listen and learn so that we might love well. Because the greatest commandment is not to love John Calvin with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I know some of you are shocked by that. but uh, And the second is not to love your five-point Calvinist friends as you love yourself. Okay? We are to love God and others as we have been loved. And I really think if we can't have this sort of discussion in our community, a gospel-believing church, then what hope is there for the world out there? And so let's practice what we all know to be true. It's love that wins hearts. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Okay? Let's pray together and we'll dive in. Father, we are grateful that you are here. And Lord, you long to speak to us. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, faith to believe, that you would, through your spirit, shape our hearts and shape our lives in a way that we as a community would reflect the beauty of Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us now in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever regretted a bad purchase or a poor decision? Let me rephrase that. When was the last time you regretted a bad purchase or a poor decision? In one of those regrettable late nights, I heard Vince Offer say, It washes, dries, and polishes any surface. It will leave you saying, wow, every time. What a name, right, for a basically infomercial pitch man, Vince Offer. I had my doubts. How could this be? But I went and, and purchased these things because he said, satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. And that hooked me. That was enough for me to pick up the phone and dial in. And now we have a pile of sham wow collecting dust somewhere in our basement. We live in a satisfaction-guaranteed customer culture where those words help soothe our anxiety because nobody wants to be cheated or scammed. We all want to make good decisions. We all want our, our investments to yield generous returns, and we all want our efforts to bear good fruit. And I think Abram, as we have read, here in Genesis 15, is second-guessing his decision. He's looking for his money-back guarantee, perhaps. Because life has a way of wearing us down, doesn't it? 
a glimpse of this heroic picture, if you will, that we read about in Genesis 12 has come to this in Genesis 15. He's searching, reaching for something, asking God, when, how? And deep in his heart, I think, maybe he's doubting. You see, in the previous chapter, in chapter 14, Abram and his men defeated basically the eastern kings. And while everyone is celebrating the victory, Abram is not. And I think his point is this, what good is success if I don't have a successor? And at times, Abram displayed great faith, but it wasn't perfect. A man who was willing to pack up everything to follow God is now wondering if it was worth it at all. And let me read for us, actually, Genesis 12, uh, verses 1 through 3, because it's an important text that sort of frames up what we're going to talk about here in Genesis 15. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, And him who dishonors, I will curse. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. In verse 2, God said, Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And Abram knew that in order for him to be a great nation, he needed two things. First, he needed land. And then, second, he needed people to populate the land in order to become a great nation. And here... Abram, in one of those raw, honest moments, he says, God, really? I'm not sure. And let me say, one of the strongest evidences for the reliability of the Scripture is that the Bible paints the lives of its heroes as they really are. Warts and all. Father of faith. Questioning. Doubting. Wondering. Struggling. That's really not the best way to propagate a new religion and garner a following. But the Bible is not shy. It tells it like it is. Because there's only one hero, which we'll come to soon. And so how does God deal with Abram in this low place? I think this message applies to all of us because this is a common place for all of us. A place of doubt. You've been there. And I have too. I've looked around the circumstances of life as a younger man in college and post-college and as a recent married man and recent parent and now in my 40s, there were many times where I looked at the promises of God. I read them. And I wonder if God will ever make good on those promises and if so, when. And God knows we will struggle. And maybe that's where some of you are tonight. You're here trying to sing these songs and pray these prayers. But you know, in the very depths of your heart, you're struggling to believe these words that you're singing and hearing. But let me say, God, he wants to meet you. He has a word for you, as we will see here in Genesis 15. He has not only promised, but he guarantees to make good on his promise. So let's look at these two things. First, God's promise. 
Chapter 15 opens with the words, after these things. What is the author referring to? After defeating the eastern kings, Abram declines the spoils of war. And it was an act of faith, really, because earlier in chapter 14, Melchizedek, a king and priest of the Most High God, blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abram believed that God, this is who God is. That he will be faithful to who he is and the covenant that he made, the promise that he made to Abram. But despite his heroic feat in an act of faith, which we read about in chapters 12 and again in 14, here in 15, Abram struggles. He is struggling. The pendulum swings fast sometimes, doesn't it? All it takes is a phone call, an email conversation, a response. And we go from a place of faith to doubt, just like that. And God comes to Abram with a word, a promise, to give new life, to renew his hope once again, that he is who he said he will be, and he will deliver. This is encouragement to all of us, because God knows the depths of our hearts. And he speaks his word to us. He meets us through his word. As Isaiah 42 verse 3 says, A bruised reed he would not break, and a faintly burning wick he would not quench. God comes gently. He doesn't shame us. He doesn't roll his eyes at us. He speaks a word of encouragement, a whisper. And that word, as we sang earlier tonight, is all we need. It's the word that gives life and hope. So what did God say to Abram? God's first words to Abram are, fear not. Fear not, Abram. You see, Abram just fought a war, and he fears retribution, that somehow down the road there will be a military reprisal because he's now become a target. And to ease Abram's fears, God says, I am your shield. I will protect you. I will sustain you. And these words echo Genesis 12, verse 3, where God promised, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And again, as I said earlier, Abram gave away the spoils of war, not an insignificant amount of wealth. And to ease Abram's fears, God says, your reward shall be great. Again, echoing the promise God said in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. Despite God's promise, Abram remains despondent. He responds, thanks God, but really, I don't know. Because none of this really matters, does it, God? Because I don't have a child And I can almost picture Abram like saying to himself, I'm I'm already 75 years old, God, if you haven't noticed. 75 years old. I am not getting any younger. And neither is my wife, Sarai. And God basically says, so? And your problem is? God says, don't worry, Abram. I'm going to bless you. And he promises him a son. In verses 4 and 5, God says, This man, your servant, 
he will not be an heir. You will have your own child. And verse 6, we read, And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. What a display of great faith. You see already the word of God affecting Abram's heart. But just because Abram believed in that moment doesn't mean he produced somehow perfect faith. And yet, this comforts us because we go back and forth, don't we? We struggle, we believe, but then we fall right back to struggling again. Because in verse 7, God picks up on the promise of land and he says, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And Abram basically responds by saying, how will I know? Faith, no faith, belief, unbelief. God comes now with another promise. But this is something we cannot miss. All along this conversation, as God is promising Abram a son and land, God is patient. He is long-suffering. And this is good news for all of us. Because the picture of Abram we see in Genesis 15 is our story. This is all of us. A snapshot of our entire journey. And when we wonder how does God relate and treat people who struggle to believe and people who constantly go in and out of state of belief, how does God deal with them? We see that God is patient. He is long-suffering. He does not come and say, Abraham, for once, just trust me. Ugh, as we do with our kids, right, parents? No, God doesn't say, really, Abraham? Are you ever going to get it? No. God comes. And he doubles down on the promise to be everything he promised to be. You see, he doesn't just talk the talk. He's literally going to walk the walk. And he guarantees that everything that he had promised will come true. How? Through a covenant he makes, as we will see. Let's now move to our second and final point, God's guarantee. What we have, starting with verse 9 to the end of the chapter, is a covenant ceremony. The covenant was actually given in chapter 12 in verses 1 through 3 as we read. And here in 15, we have the covenant ceremony where God will walk between this, the animals that have been torn. And eventually in chapter 22, God will give a sign, covenant sign of circumcision. These covenants, they provide a framework for understanding how God relates to his people and this is important for us to know. In the Old Testament, God covenanted with Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David. And each one of these covenants, they intertwine, they help explain, understand, and build on the other, providing clarity on how God actually deals with his people and what it means when God says, I will be your people and you uh, will be my God, okay? Or I will be your God and you will be my people. I'm sorry. For example, the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant of law which was given in Exodus chapter 20, 
is rooted in the Abrahamic covenant, and it grows out of that. And it's an elaboration of God's promise to bless all peoples on earth through you, through Abraham, and answers the question, how will you do that? How will you bless all peoples on earth through Abraham? Through obedience to the law. As we obey God's commands, as we separate ourselves as holy people devoted to God, as we live into the commands of God, the very moral code that that God has given us, we then become a light to the nations. And that's how we are to bless all peoples on earth. But you know how the story goes. Didn't exactly happen that way, but that was the function of the law. And all the Old Testament covenants, beginning with Adam and all the way to David, they find their ultimate fulfillment in the new covenant, which describes a new era in the redemptive history where Jesus mediates the covenant under grace. And so as we begin to read about, study, and understand the various covenants that God gave us in the Old Testament, in many ways they're pointing us to Christ, the fulfillment of all of these things. Because Jesus is the promised heir of Abraham in whom all peoples on earth would be blessed. Jesus is the better mediator than Moses. Jesus is the true Israelite who obeys the law perfectly and earns and secures for us the blessing of God and is then a light to the Gentiles. Jesus is the son of David, the king who will reign forever and ever. And it's under his reign we begin to experience true peace. Not just absence of conflict, but the presence of true human flourishing. So all of these things were pointing us to a greater fulfillment that would come in Christ. So back to Genesis 15. Once the animals are prepared, the text says a dreadful and dark, a great darkness fell upon Abram. And God begins to explain in detail how his promise will come about. He says, Abram, you will have offspring. In fact, you will have a lot of offspring eventually. They will sojourn in a foreign land, and for 400 years, they will be slaves. But I will bring judgment on that nation, and I will bring them out, and they will come out with great possessions. And as darkness came over the land, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces of the animals. What is going on here in the covenant ceremony? Often in the Old Testament, this imagery of fire, flaming torch, okay, describes God himself. God would again appear in the form of flame, fire, in Exodus. The pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud that was with his people. And he passed between the pieces of the animal. And on that day, verse 18 says, God made a covenant. The literal Hebrew word is to cut a covenant with Abram, guaranteeing people and land. The very things he promised back in Genesis chapter 12. So what is the importance of this ceremony? So, yeah, God walked through the torn animals. So what? You see, when God walked through the torn animals, it was him 
guaranteeing that with my very life, I will make good on the promise. It was a visible sign of the consequence of not following through an oath. You see, in ancient Near East, people didn't sign documents as we do today. They made covenants. And as part of the ceremony, you acted out the curse. May this happen to me if I don't uphold my end of the covenant obligation. And notice here, God alone walked through the torn pieces. And he's essentially saying, I'm going to walk through it by myself. And if I don't fulfill my promise to give you a son and give you the land... I will take the curse of the covenant and be slaughtered like these animals. And eventually God kept his promise. He gave Abram a son, Isaac. And from there, they grew into a great people. And four generations later, the people of Israel took possession of the land and they received the very promise that God made. And Israel, at that point, entered into the Mosaic Covenant to keep the law of God and be a light to the Gentile nations. But they failed miserably. They didn't uphold their end of, their end of the covenant bargain. So what did God do? Instead of putting the curse of the covenant unfaithfulness on Israel, he took it upon himself just as he walked through the animals alone. And years later, darkness would come over the land again. As Christ, the Son of God, became sin for us, bore the curse of covenant unfaithfulness, was slaughtered and cut from the land as he prayed, My God, my God, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And there on the cross, he paid the price of our unfaithfulness as God's people. And this is the Christian gospel that God made a promise to bless us. And knowing full well that we couldn't uphold our end of the bargain, he secured it with his death and resurrection. So when you and I, when we question, doubt, and wonder if God will be everything he promised to be, all we have to do is look back at the cross and the empty tomb and know for certain that he is the faithful one. That he will be everything he promised to be. And because of the cross and the empty tomb, we can, as Apostle Paul said, all the promises of God are yes and amen guaranteed in Christ. And this is the hope that we have. We never have to doubt. We never have to fear. We never have to question if he is with us, if he is for us, if he's going to bless us, if he's going to provide for us. I know the circumstances of life have a way of eating away at our faith, leaving us questioning these very things. But God says, look to the cross. If I'm willing to die for you, give you my son, my very best, my myself, How would I not give you everything else along with him? And this is a place where we need to come back again and again and again because often we lose sight of this. Not that we don't know, but we forget. And we live as if God has not 
promised. We live as orphans, fending for ourselves, securing whatever we can with our own wisdom and might, and that is tiring because you and I, we're not wise enough and we're not strong enough to secure for us ourselves everything we need. And God says, relax. Take it easy. It's all been one that's promised to you. So how should we respond to this covenant-making God? Well, we got to believe. we got to believe. That's exactly what Abram did, right? He believed. And it wasn't perfect. Because two verses later, he's like, well, God, can you explain what you mean there? And God is okay with that. We offer little faith, struggling faith, and God says that's good enough. And in fact, it's his very promise that strengthens our faith. As see it as we see it in action. As we recount all the steps that God has indeed been faithful to us. As we go back to our prayer journals to check off one prayer request another after, one after another and say, God, wow, you have indeed been faithful. God strengthens our faith. So let me say two things as we close. First, do you know the promises of God? Do you know what God has promised in his word? And often we don't, and that's why we live as orphans. You are not an orphan. If you have placed your faith in Christ, you are a child of God. And I, a wicked earthly father, I desire to give nothing but the best to my kids. How much more would our heavenly father? Perfect God. Perfect in love. Perfect patience and endurance. How much more would he care for you? Do you know the promises that he has made to you? The word that he wants to speak to you, to encourage you with, to breathe life into. Do you know that? And if you know it, then we got to rest on it and allow those words to become an operative reality. The, thing that, the very thing that drives us. See, sometimes trying harder to live into our calling as children of God, is not enough. Why? Because that's not where you start. You start with his promise. And let that breed life, hope, and joy into you. Because without those things, trying to live into that calling is going to be, how do I say it? It's going to suck. <laughs> Can I say that? It's going to be hard. But if you get the gospel, and it comes alive in your heart. Then it becomes joy. Not perfect faith. But it bears the fruit. And so God's people. Let's rest here. And let's marinate. In the, the hope. The promise that God gives to us. So that we. As God's people may respond to him, our covenant God, with faith. Let's pray together.
Father, we are grateful that you are so kind, so patient, so merciful to us. Lord, you know that we, on our own, we cannot, we cannot live into the very thing that, that you call us to. Lord, we, we struggle so often, and you know that. And we praise you that you are faithful. We praise you that you are kind. And we ask that you would help us to believe, to know for certain the words spoken over us so that we might grow into them. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.